been around relevant for any period of time knows that I have a huge appetite for cake and steak. I mean, I love cake and steak and not just any steak, like it's got to be a good ribeye, good prime rib. I cannot, I, I, I can't withstand it. And a cake, like I don't want, I'm not talking about like some fluffy frosting cake with a lot of cake. I'm talking like thick, rich, deep, chocolate frosting with just a little cake. I mean, just covered in it. Listen, when, when, you know, when I have an appetite for cake and steak and it's fully engaged, all bets are off. I throw all caution, all health concerns, all discipline, all inconvenience, all price to the wind to get me some. And at times, the length I go to get it is ridiculous and how much I eat of it is equally embarrassing. Uh, last night, I was at a wedding last night and I'm going through the cake line acting like I'm getting cake from my family. Just plates of cake. But they're all for me. I'm taking them back and I'm just double fisting this cake. You know, I love it so much. Well, let me ask you, what's something you have an appetite for? And when you want it, all bets are off. We'll come back to that in just a minute. But today, we're in part three of a five-week series in which we're talking about something we expect from everyone else, something we hold everyone else accountable for, our leaders, pastors, teachers, employees, employers, friends, kids, spouse, fiance, boyfriend, girlfriend, but something that we're all quick to make excuses for when there's a lack of it in our own life. And that something is integrity. And there's many different ways to define integrity, but to make it simple and portable, here's the definition we're using for this series. Integrity is doing what you ought to, even when it costs you. Integrity is the resolve and courage to do the right thing you know you ought to do when it costs you to do so just because it's the right thing to do. And over the last few weeks, we've discovered that my integrity, your integrity is a really big deal, not just for you, but for everyone around you because as integrity goes, so goes everything. And the anchor verse of this series that we looked at last time is Proverbs 11.3, and here it is again. The integrity of the upright, and that Hebrew word, and by the way, you know, Hebrews is the original, lang Hebrews original language that uh, the book of Proverbs is written in. That Hebrew word for upright literally means to stand up straight, to put your shoulders back, chin up, look forward. Verse, live in your life like this. Because when you live your life like this, you only see and respond to what's right in front of you. And it limits your perspective, and it limits your sight, and it limits your options. The integrity of the upright guides them. And what that means is the reason people of integrity maintain, the reason that people of integrity maintain their integrity is because their integrity is their guide. It's their North Star. It's their decision-making filter. They live upright and take the long view. They look up and out. They, they know that later is longer. The person who is guided by integrity makes decisions based on important instead of immediate. Later instead of now. Ought to instead of want to. They decide, I'm going to do the right thing I know I ought to, regardless if it costs me. It's their decision-making 
filter. The integrity of the upright guides them. But the unfaithful, the crooked, those who live like this are destroyed by their duplicity. As your integrity goes, so goes your reputation, your emotional well-being, your mental well-being, your future, the respect people have for you. And a few weeks ago, we talked about so goes your ability to experience the fullness of God's presence in your life. But your integrity or your lack of integrity is never isolated to just you. It impacts everything and everyone around you. Integrity, your lack of integrity, it's personal, but it ain't private. Because the consequences of a lack or break of integrity impacts the people around you. It's your personal decision, but it impacts the persons around you. As your integrity goes, so goes the health and the strength of your relationships at home, at work, at school, on your team, with your spouse, with your coworkers, kids, your parents, your friends, each other. And what you've got to know is that your lack of integrity will eventually destroy you and the people around you. But if you're guided by integrity, if integrity is your primary decision-making filter, you, those closest around you, your relationships, they will benefit greatly. Integrity is the resolve and the courage to do the right thing you know you ought to, especially when it costs you. And the question now we're going to be wrestling with today is, why don't we just do the right thing we know we ought to do? I mean, why don't we? Why don't we just do the right thing we know we ought to do? We expect everyone else to, so why don't, we, why don't we? And I really believe that one of the big reasons is because of what we talked about a minute ago, our appetites. The reality of it is, is I have an appetite for things that are much bigger and way more destructive than cake and steak, and so do you. I mean, have you ever known or worked with or watched someone who just seemed ruled or controlled by an appetite for something? And as you watched them, it was like quenching this appetite. It seemed like it took priority over everything and everyone else around them. It's almost like it, it ruled and directed and controlled how they made decisions, where they spent their time, what they spent their money on, who they surrounded themselves with. with. And as you watch them, I mean, you just like, the more irrational this all looked to you because you saw how destructive it was in their lives, in the lives of their kids, in their relationship with, you know, in the relationships they have around them for their future. But to them, it made absolute perfect sense. I mean, we've all seen this in others. But if we're being honest, most of us have experienced it in ourselves. And you already know this, that our appetites, your appetites are extremely powerful. What we're going to discover today is you must rule your appetites or they will rule you. You must rule your appetites or they will rule you. Now, something that's very interesting, especially for those of us who say we're followers of Christ, like, yeah, I follow Jesus, I put my faith in Jesus. Something interesting is our appetites, they will rule us. They will rule you regardless of and in spite of what you believe is true, what you believe is right, what you believe is important, what you believe is valuable, and what you believe about Jesus. Which means our appetites have the potential to make us all hypocrites. When we're ruled by our appetites, we end up saying, even though we don't say it out loud, we end up saying, here's what I believe, here's what I teach my kids, here's what I think is important, here's what I know is right, here's what I ought to do, but here's what I do instead. Many times, the thing that puts a chasm between the, what I ought to do and what I actually do, it's an appetite. 
For all those reasons and more, our appetites pose a constant threat to our integrity. To be more direct, your appetites pose a constant threat to your integrity. Just about every day, we have to say no to one to protect or to satisfy the other. What I mean by that is just about every day, we have to say no to an appetite to protect our integrity or say no to our integrity to satisfy an appetite. It's a constant tension that we live with every single day. Now, two, general, two, two things generally come to mind when we think about the word appetite, and that is food and Sex, I'll say it for you, food and sex. But we have many appetites, and I just want to kind of give you a general list. This isn't an exhaustive list, just a general list to kind of get our minds going here. We have appetites for acceptance, achievement, alcohol, comfort, companionship, drugs, fame, food, inclusion, intimacy, money, pleasure, popularity, progress, recognition, respect, responsibility, security, sex, stuff, you know, more stuff, new stuff, winning, the list could go on. Now, some of these appetites are obviously not good and healthy, but most are not bad in and of themselves. However, each one of these appetites on some level pose a threat to our integrity. Now, before I talk more about that, I want to point out three observations about appetites that we all already know, but being reminded of these will help us better understand where we're going over the next few minutes. First, theists, you know, people who believe in one God, we believe that when it comes to appetites, God created them, sin distorted them. God created him, created him good, but then sin distorted him. Secondly, everybody, regardless of what you believe about God and what you believe about the Bible, everyone believes that appetites are never fully and finally satisfied. In fact, appetites have a one-word vocabulary. Anyone know what that word is? More. More. Which obviously fuels our discontentment. Which, by the way, if you feel currently discontent in life, it's probably an indicator that you have an appetite that's gone unsatisfied, and you want it fulfilled. Unfortunately, appetites are never fully and finally fulfilled. Thirdly, appetites always whisper now. They never whisper later. An appetite never says, you know what, let's wait till tomorrow. Never. Because our appetites are not fans of delayed gratification. Our appetites always tempt us to opt for immediate over important. Now over later. Want to over Ought to. And that's why our appetites pose a constant threat to our integrity. Now, as I said before, I have an appetite for cake and steak, but there's something else I have an appetite for that's much bigger than that. I have an appetite to feel significant. And this appetite within me fuels a desire and fuels a hunger for progress, to achieve great things, to win, to be the best, to advance things forward for success. But my integrity can become an obstacle to feeling significant as quickly as I want to feel it. Doing the right thing I know I ought to may slow things down. And when I'm at that crossroads and when I'm facing that tension, I have a decision to make. And the decision is, will integrity or will appetite be my guide? Will integrity or appetite be my guide? Will I say no to my appetite to protect my integrity or will I say no to my integrity to satisfy my appetite? And the same is true for you. So what do you have an appetite for? Is it money, pleasure, comfort, achievement, or something else? You have an appetite for something and your appetites pose a constant threat to your integrity. 
Listen, I guarantee you don't lie or deceive or cheat or gossip or belittle people or take shortcuts or abandon your values because you believe it's the right thing you know you ought to do. You and I do those things at times because it's a means to an end. It helps us satisfy an appetite today, right now. There will come a time in your life, in order to maintain your integrity, you'll have to say no to an appetite. And as hard as it is to say no, you'll want to. Because if you don't rule your appetites, your appetites will rule you. I want to look at a familiar uh, Old Testament story recorded in Genesis 25. Genesis is the first book in our Bible. And I want, to walk through, I want to walk through it because it illustrates this tension that we all feel. More importantly, this story provides us with a word picture. And I hope as a result of today, this word picture sits front and center in your mind for the rest of your life. And maybe, hopefully, this word picture will help you keep from making a decision now that you pay for later. This story took place in about 1800 BC, so that's about 1800 years before the events of Jesus' life, and it's a story of two brothers. The older brother was a hunter, a warrior, a doer. The younger brother was a thinker, a schemer, and a really good cook. Does anyone know who I'm talking about? Yeah, Esau and Jacob. Now, Esau's the older brother, Jacob's the younger brother. Interestingly enough, if you've ever heard this referred to these two guys, or you ever you know, grew up in church world, you always heard them referred to as Jacob and Esau. Which is weird because normally you don't, you, you, normally you say the older before the younger, but because of this story, they will forever be known as Jacob and Esau instead of Esau and Jacob. Now, even if you don't know anything about the Bible, have never read the Bible, you've probably heard of Abraham. God promised Abraham that he would make him into a great nation and that the entire world would be blessed through him and his descendants. Well, these two guys, Esau and Jacob, were Abraham's grandsons. As the older brother, Esau would automatically inherit something that was very, that's very strange to us in the 21st century. He would automatically inherit a birthright. Now, there is no equivalent to this in our modern society, and we probably push back if there were because of how it worked. If, if you were the firstborn son, you received special rights simply because you were the firstborn. That's it. For example, you got double inheritance. I think maybe the best thing about a birthright, and I think this is actually pretty cool, is you got judicial authority over your family members, which means your extended family. If there was any dispute among your family, you got the word, you got to say what was right, and it was law over them. How awesome would that be? You also got your father's blessing, which in that culture was, an, was equivalent to getting God's blessing. Now, for Esau, as the older brother, that meant that God's promise to Abraham that was passed down to his son, Esau's father, Isaac, as his birthright, was going to be passed down to Esau as his birthright. That God's promise that he would now make Esau into a great nation and that the entire world would be blessed through him and his descendants. With that in mind, here's how the story goes. The boys grew up. And Esau became a skillful hunter, a man of the open country, while Jacob was content to stay at home among the tents. Now, if right now you're thinking that had the potential of influencing how their parents viewed or interacted with them, the next verse confirms exactly what you're thinking. Their father, Isaac, who had a taste for wild game, loved Esau, but Rebekah, their mother, loved Jacob. And Esau and Jacob knew it, and that was part of the problem. Now, I do not have any time to get into this, but I just want to say this real quick to all the parents. 
parents, this story should remind us to be very alert and very aware of how we're treating our kids and how they view our love for them. There's a possibility this story would have never ended up the way that it did if Esau and Jacob both felt, both felt loved by both of their parents. But I digress. Let's continue. Once when Jacob was cooking some stew, Esau came in from the open country famished. And that little Hebrew word, Hebrew is the original language that Genesis is written in, that little Hebrew word literally means weary, faint. Today we'd say he was hangry. You ever been hangry like you don't know if you're angry or hungry, you know which one? Esau, he came in, he's completely famished. His appetite, fully engaged. His defenses are down. His sentence Senses heightened because of the stew. And at this point, Esau, he's basically a sitting duck. And he said to Jacob, quick. 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 Whenever you're in quick mode, Whenever you're in I gotta have it now mode, you need to tap the brakes because that's an indicator that an appetite is talking. Quick, let me have some of that red stew. I'm famished, quick. I'm so hungry, quick. Give me a bowl of stew to satisfy my appetite, quick. I gotta have it now. Listen and You already know this, especially if you're a younger sibling. Rarely does it happen that a a younger, weaker sibling has leverage over their older, stronger sibling. That's why if it ever does happen, the younger sibling will will normally try to take full advantage of the situation. Here's how it may sound in our world. Oh, so you you don't want mom to know what time you came in last night. You don't want her. That's correct? Okay, what's it worth to you? Now, Jacob might have been the younger, weaker mama's boy, but he was also a really shrewd thinker, and he sees an opportunity, so he seizes it. Jacob replied, first, sell, or trade, me your birthright. (laughs) Esau's like, what? Wait, you want me to trade my birthright for a bowl of stew? Seriously? Like, my birthright is my entire future. I mean, come on. Who in their right mind, guys, would trade their birthright for a bowl of stew? I mean, not even for a lifetime of stew would you trade your entire future. I mean, who in their right mind would trade something of such significant values? Who in their right mind would trade what was most important for something of no value, like a bowl of stew? Who would trade their integrity, their future, their self-respect, their relationship with their kids, their marriage, a valuable relationship, their influence, their reputation, their virginity, their self-worth, their peace, peace for a bowl of stew, for an appetite, The answer is nobody. The answer is potentially everybody. And you've seen others do it. And many of us have done it. 
And when we see it in the context of this story, we just laugh and go, yeah, right. But when it's you and it's right in front of you, the amazing, you know, it's amazing the bad trades that we're willing to make to satisfy our appetites today. Listen to what happens next. Look, Esau said, I'm about to die. And you're like, you just walked in. You ain't about to die. Like saying this is a life or death thing is a little dramatic, Esau. Esau's doing what we do all the time. He's creating a narrative to justify having his appetite satisfied right now. And in justifying, he's actually just a lying to himself. And what he says next is something we've probably all said at some point in time. What good is the birthright to me? And I'm going to add two words to the text here because it helps us understand what Esau is really saying. What good is the birthright to me right now? And the answer is it's not worth anything to him right now. It's not worth anything until his father dies. But that's, that's later. This this is now. I mean, what good is my virginity to me right now? What good is a savings account to me right now? What good is my relationship with my parents to me right now? What good is respect from my friends to me right now? What good is being in, what, what good is, is being in good physical shape to me right now? What good is being trusted by them to me right now? The integrity of the Upright, the people who take the long view, who look up and out, who realize that later is longer, guides them. The upright see right. Those who are bent, they don't see right. All they see is what's the, the, the satisfy, in front of them to satisfy their appetites right now and they want it right now. Esau was looking at right now over later. He was looking at want to over ought to because of his appetite. And in doing so, he lost sight of his future. And in doing so, he had the potential of sacrificing what was most important for what was immediate. And let me tell you something about now. And this is super deep. Now is now. And now, that now is gone. Did you catch it? This is so deep, so make sure you're hanging with me. Now is now. And now, that now is gone. And you can never get that back. Now is now. But now, that now, just a second ago, that now is gone. Now Jacob, being the younger brother, knew that Esau had all the power, so he's careful. Check out what Jacob says. Jacob said, swear to me first. So he, Esau, swore an oath, and an oath in those days was a really big deal, to him selling or trading his birthright to him. Because Esau was focused on satisfying his appetite now, he lost sight of the promises of God that were linked to his birthright for him and the entire world. And the same is true for us. When we are consumed with an appetite, in that moment we lose sight of how doing the right thing we know we ought to is linked to what God wants to do in us and what God wants to do through us. Now, standing on the outside of the story looking in, we can't help but think that Esau is absolutely ridiculous and Esau is abso absolutely insane. But I bet once upon a time in all of our lives, a parent, a friend, 
a coach, a spouse, a small group leader, someone in, you're in T-Life group with, was looking at the decisions that we were making and they thought or they said, are you kidding me? Are you, are you serious? Like, are you kidding me? And we thought, it's no big deal. It's no big deal. It's just one time. It's just now. It won't hurt or affect anything or anyone else. Then Jacob gave Esau some bread and some lentil stew. And he ate and he drank. Then he got up and left. And the stew was gone. And so was his birthright. He traded his future. He traded what was most important. He traded ought to for a bowl of stew. Who would do that? What would cause someone to do that? <laughs> what would cause me and you to do that? And the answer is an appetite. An appetite that's so enraged and so engaged and so inflamed. It's all you can see. This is how the narrative ends, and it's so instructive to all of us. So Esau despised his birthright. And what that means is, after Esau set the bowl down and he left, after the fact, after the decision was already made, he decided after, it's not that important. I don't care. I didn't have any other choice. <laughs> Come on now. That's exactly what we do. We decide we don't care after it's too late to care. We tell ourselves it really wasn't all that valuable after we've discounted its value because of what we've done and now there's nothing we can do about it. We attempt to justify what we've done but we say it's not that big of a deal. We lie to ourselves and create a narrative that we didn't have any other choice and then we believe our own lies. What else could I have done? I was dying. What else could I have done? I was going to lose my job. What else could I have done? She never would have gone out with me again. What else could I have done? It would have been the end of the relationship. What else could I have done? I would have lost so much money. I didn't have any choice. And then we believe the lie to justify what we've done. And from that point forward, we hang on to our excuses, we hang on to our justifications, and very few people ever face up to it. And the healthy people around us know that there's something, to, something up, but if they ever try to bring it up, we immediately shut it down, we immediately cover it up, we immediately justify out of our guilt and out of our shame and out of our regret. And this is so important. If you hear nothing else, hear this. You can't be a person of integrity as long as you're lying to yourself. You can't be a person of integrity as long as you're lying to yourself. But it doesn't stop there. You can't know yourself as long as you're lying to yourself. And maybe even worse, you can't be truly known by anyone else, your kids, your spouse, your friends, each other, as long as you're lying to yourself. Now, if you're familiar with how this story plays out, you know Esau's decision set in motion a chain of events that ripped the family apart for decades. 
The integrity of the upright guides them. But the unfaithful are destroyed by their duplicity, are destroyed by their appetites. That was Esau's story. And it's a story for everyone who chooses to say no to integrity, no to doing the right thing they know they ought to do in order to satisfy an appetite. For Esau, for you, for me, for all of us, our appetites pose a constant threat to our integrity. On some level, probably before this day is over, we'll all be tempted to trade our integrity for what amounts to a bowl of stew. Today and every day, we'll be forced to say no to an appetite in order to maintain our integrity or say no to our integrity in order to satisfy an appetite. What's equally as concerning is our appetites pose a constant threat to the quality and direction of our future. On some level, we'll all be tempted to to trade the quality and direction of our lives and our futures and the lives and the futures of those closest to us for what amounts to a bowl of stew. We rule our appetites or they rule us. We rule them or they ruin us. And in that moment, it doesn't look like a bowl of stew, does it? But one year, five years, 10 years, 20 years later, when you look back, you'll see what you got in exchange to satisfy your appetite is gone forever. And it wasn't worth it. These two girls right here, these are the Seeger sisters. Uh, They're two two of my students at the church I was a pastor at in Birmingham. This picture was taken 15 years ago, which is a couple things. Evidently, 15 years ago, you could have a high school girl sit on your lap and take a picture and it was no big deal. Tile times have changed, huh? Uh, <laughs> and 15 years ago, I looked a lot better than I do today. I'm going to tell you that right now. Uh, this girl that you see on the right there, her name is Nicole, Nicole Seegers. You're going to notice a couple things about Nicole right away. First of all, this young woman is just a beautiful, beautiful young woman. The second thing you notice about Nicole is that she is in a wheelchair. Nicole, Nicole was paralyzed from the waist down. But she wasn't one year before that picture was taken. One year that before that picture was taken, Nicole walked every single day of her life. I'll tell you what happened. Nicole was dating a guy who everyone knew was not good. She knew he wasn't good. Everyone told her that he wasn't good. And numerous times, talked to Nicole numerous times, she felt like she ought to break up with him. But she didn't. And she didn't because she had an appetite to feel wanted by guys and to feel loved by guys. So instead of doing what she knew she ought to do, she chose to satisfy her appetite and go, it's not that big of a deal. It's not that big of a deal. Well, one night, her jerk boyfriend and her and a couple of, a couple of their friends decided they were going to go to a rock quarry because it was away from everyone. No one could see them go to rock quarry and drink. And while they're at this rock quarry, her and her boyfriend got in a fight. And her boyfriend pushed her. And Nicole fell 30 feet off that rock quarry and severed her spine. Nicole said no to her integrity to satisfy an appetite. And it greatly impacted the quality and direction of her life and her future. Now, that's a completely extreme case. But here's what's true for you, and here's what's true for me. 
What you give up when you, when you trade your integrity for a bowl of stew to satisfy an appetite, many times is irretrievable. It's not unforgivable, but many times it's irretrievable because you can't go back and undo the past. Your appetites pose a constant threat to your integrity. Your appetites pose a constant threat to the quality and the direction of your life. So let me ask you, what's your bowl of stew? Not in the past, right now. What's your bowl of stew? What appetite is competing right now with doing the right thing you know you ought to do? What appetite is competing right now with your preferred future, with where you want to be five years from now, spiritually, financially, relationally, physically? What appetite is competing right now with you following Jesus and being more transformed into everything he's created you to be? What appetite is causing you to make excuses, to justify, to lie, and to hide? What appetite is competing right now with your integrity and you don't want anyone else to find out about it? What are you talking yourself into that the people who love you are trying to talk you out of. The whisper of an appetite is, it's not that big of a deal. It doesn't matter. It's just once. It's just one more time. It's just now. Our appetites always tempt us to opt for immediate over important. Now over later. Want to over ought to. And here's something that you and I have in common with Esau. Here's something you and I have in common with Nicole Seegers. We have no idea who or what hangs in the balance of our decision to sacrifice our integrity in order to satisfy our appetites. But you know something's at stake. So now that you know what's at stake, Would you be willing to go upright, stand up straight, and decide once and for all, I will not trade my integrity for something I have an appetite for now. I will not trade what I value. I will not trade what's important. I will not trade what God has for me and what God wants for me for something that amounts to a bowl of stew. And then would you just follow Jesus by doing what you know you ought to, even if it costs you? You'll be glad you did. And the people you love and the people who love you will be glad you did as well. So once again, what's your bowl of stew? We're going to close by having Andrew sing a song over us called Nothing Else. And the bridge of this song, the words are, nothing else will do, I just want you. Nothing else will do, I just want you. And as you sit there, Reflecting on your appetite. Reflecting on what your bowl of stew is. I want to invite you to decide and declare, Jesus, I will not trade my integrity. Jesus, I will not trade the the right thing I know I ought to do. And that you would have me do for this appetite. I just want you. And what you want for my life.
I'm sorry when I've just gone through the motions. I'm sorry when I just sing another song and take me back to where we started. And I open up my heart. I'm sorry when I've come with my agenda. I'm sorry when I forgot that you're enough and take me back to where we started. I open up my heart to you. I'm caught up in your prayer. And I just want to sit here at your feet I'm caught up in this holy moment I never want to leave Oh, I'm not here for bliss Sings. And Jesus, you don't know me anything and more than anything that you can do. Not just want you, and not just want you. Nothing else, nothing else, nothing else will do. I just want you, nothing else, nothing else, nothing else will do. No, and I just want you. Nothing else, nothing else, Jesus, nothing else will do it. And I just want you, nothing else, no, nothing else, nothing else will do, no, I just want you. Nothing else, and nothing else, Jesus, nothing else will do. No, I just want you, and nothing else, and nothing else, and nothing else will do. I'm caught up in your presence and I just want to sit here at your feet I'm caught up in this holy moment I never want to leave no 
knowing I'm not here for blessings. And Jesus, you don't owe me anything. And more than anything that you can do, I just want you. that is our not just words that we sing or words that we say but God it's just the our lives declare it we choose not to sacrifice our integrity sacrifice following you sacrifice the right thing we know we ought to do something silly that amounts to a bull of stew. I pray that we all just when we walk out we choose to take the next step to follow you. And that next step declares that we just want you. Praise in Jesus' name. Amen.